Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. Welcome to Diner Talks with James. I'm James, my friends. I am super excited to be here with you. We have a wonderful show lined up. Anne-Marie Pierce <laughs> is the guest, and she is just a damn good human uh, and a badass of a woman. So I'm excited for you to meet here, but we ain't getting to that just yet, my friends. Come on now. We're in the diner. We got to start off with tonight's top three, top three. All right, let's get it crack a lacking. No one says that anymore. Tina and I are in the market for a new mattress. Now, besides the fact that it's quarantine and COVID and we're not allowed to breathe on strangers, it's also just the time to buy your bed in a burrito form and have it expand to the love making platform it is while it's at your house. But that's interesting because you are not allowed to try out these beds in a box. And yes, you get 100-day trials, 120-day trials. That's delightful. That is delightful. I'm terrible at sending things back, though. Like, I'm the reason rebates work because I never send the rebate back. And so I'm, like, sitting on this mattress. Anyway, my friends, we're mattress shopping. Here are my three biggest pet peeves about mattresses. I've already started complaining. Uh, So let's first off... Talk about number three, the mattress reviews. Whether you watch the video or you read the reviews or whatnot, I don't know what all these different layers do. We got coils. We got we got these things inside. We got half stuffed pigeons. We got we got memory foam. We got other jobbies in here. I don't know what any of this stuff does. Is it comfortable? And also. Why are all these people absolutely in love with it? How do you have 5,000 five-star reviews, my friends? I'm questioning it all. Number two is that just the practice of not being able to try them, as I mentioned earlier, that's just tough, right? I'm a man. I'm a man with curves. Okay, let's go, right? I got to know what's hugging me the right way, y'all. All right. And my most annoying thing that I have when it comes to trying on mattresses is that y'all, there are some mattresses that are made for that are made for plus size folks, but the way that people talk about plus size people on these reviews, while they themselves weigh 120 pounds, is insulting. Okay, great. Enough of that shame hole. Moving right along. So, up next, a town that Anne Marie and I both love and share in common is a place that we love to visit. It's called Eureka, California. It's also Acadia. They kind of they kind of run together. Um, and so, but this is a place that we have both been never together yet, but we will there. We will we will do that at some point. But these are my three favorite things about that place in California that we share. First off, there is a place called Happy Donuts, and. That's the, I mean, that's, that's, that's a very redundant title. Okay. Like they're inherently donuts are happy, but these donuts freaking slap y'all. Okay. I'm here for these happy donuts. Tina and I stayed out there for 10 days. We got them at least once a day. No shame in this game. See previous plus size mattress complaint. Next. 
There is a place out there that is beautiful. It is called Patrick's Point. And Anne-Marie is taking some stunning photos on Patrick's Point. And I recommend you check her out on Instagram. We'll put her handle up here in just a little bit. Um, but uh, stunning photos out there. Right next to Patrick's Point is another point called Wedding Rock. And now Tina and I went out there, had an incredible experience, took one of my favorite photos of all time. Not of the waves crashing against the shore. No, uh, right by the parking lot, there was a group of elk and one of them stuck their tongue out at me. It's an incredible photo. Um, but I love it because Tina and I were out there. It was while we were still dating. We went to Patrick's Point and then we went to Wedding Rock. And so, you know, we had to have a conversation afterwards and it all worked out, y'all. Cheers. Last but not least, my favorite place out there is a place called the Avenue of the Giants. It is just off the highway and it is one of the most stunning roads that I've ever been on because you are literally, it's a, it's a two-lane road and you are surrounded by nothing but redwoods. And there is just so much wisdom and beauty in those trees. So I just love, it's my favorite road, one of my favorite roads to drive on. And I'm a road trip guy. So that's how I'm holding it some high standards. That's the next one. Last but not least, top three, top three, my friends. Anne-Marie is a cheesemonger. She is a exceptional cheese lover. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I've already done my top three, top three favorite cheeses. <clears throat> but uh, so what I decided to do is my top three favorite things on a charcuterie board. Because when in doubt, get bougie. Here we go, my friends. First off, Iberico ham. Are you kidding me with this? It's so sexy. What are they doing over there? I think they're just they're just feeding these pigs chestnuts, and I'm here. They are chestnuts roping on roasting on my open tongue. That's a little visual. All right, let's keep it moving. Next, never even heard of it before. Now I want to douse myself in it. Where has everybody been hiding the quince paste? Y'all, okay. Shout out to the quince paste. And I'm that guy with the charcuterie work comes to the table. Whenever there's something sweet like honey or quince paste or apricot jam or something like that, I'm taking an egregious amount of it on my first swipe and ruining it for everybody else. Last but not least, my friends, if you don't have this kind of cheese on your charcuterie board, then I need to manche go. All right, y'all, we out here. I regret everything. That's tonight's top three, top three. My friends, let's bring out our esteemed and wonderful guest. Her name is Anne-Marie Petersma. She is an exceptional actor. She just put out an hysterical video for Halloween about Magic the Gathering. It's worth your time. Uh, but she is also, as I mentioned, a cheesemonger. She works at one of the best cheese shops in the world from time to time. I don't think she's quite there right now because, you know, we're not allowed to cough on each other. Um, it's called Murray's Cheese Shop, and it is in New York City. Uh, she also hosts a number, at least two podcasts that I know about, um, and also is just a wonderful human being who is insightful and just lovely to have deep conversations with. So I want to bring her out right now. The one, the only, Anne-Marie. Hi. What's going on, friend? What's up, man? I'm so happy to be here. I miss you. I miss you too. Come on, y'all. Uh, Anne-Marie, how is your day going? Uh, how is your day going today? You know, are you, are you still, uh, are, are you taking the quarantine seriously? Are you, are you, are you hold up or do you go and walk around Brooklyn from time to time? I walk around from time to time with a mask, of course, mm, yes. socially distant of all of the beautiful strangers, but I have statement. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but I, unfortunately that is a political statement. <laughs> <laughs> I care about humans. 
Sound the alarms. Sound um, the alarms. But I do, I, I did take quarantine. I mean, I do take quarantine very, very seriously, but I had COVID in April. So I, I definitely didn't leave my apartment for a yes, long time. Yes, my friend. And you are, uh, you are one of the first people that I know that had it. And I think that's a big thing that's going on here is that most people don't know anybody who has had it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one person that most people know that had it recovered miraculously in uh, Walter Reed hospital uh, with some drugs that nobody else has access to. And now mm-hmm. is a hero. Um, yeah. But, uh, but still, um, <laughs> but I'm just curious, what was the experience like with COVID? Because you, I mean, you had some of the telltale signs. Did you lose your sense of taste? I did. I lost my complete sense of taste and smell for about two weeks. And it was so brutal because, you know, the theater shut down, like everything else did. But it was just like, okay, that part of my life cannot happen for at least a little bit. Um, cool. I'll go full on into cheese and wine and I'll just taste things and try and make money that way um, and talk about it. And then my entire sense of taste and smell oh. left. Um, so it was very anxiety inducing. But I was very lucky that I did not have to go to the hospital. I didn't have to go on a ventilator. So it was it definitely wasn't fun, but I was lucky in how I had it. Yeah. For someone who has quite literally made a living on her palate, uh, like for that to all of a sudden be gone. I mean, that's, that's like a singer getting vocal nodes, right? That's, I mean, insert anything here. Uh, but, uh, a bird watcher losing their sight. Um, you know, you get it here. We can go down. Yeah. 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 No, let me come up with a few more examples. (laughs) Um, (laughs) just sit tight. Um, but, uh, I mean, what was that like? Now I've had a cold before, right? Or and something like that where you can't taste or, or you really mm-hmm. can't taste. And whenever I have that, I'm always eating things I don't like. I'm like, finally, let's eat all these things. Um, now, I mean, was it basically like that just to another degree and for way longer than usual? Yeah, way longer than usual. And it was it was so weird because I had thought that every time I've had a cold or anything that I stuffy nose, all that, it's like, okay, like I can't taste anything. Mm-hmm. But having COVID made me realize that I actually could taste some things because it was nothing, like absolutely nothing. It's like texture and like salt or sweet is like all I had to go off of. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to eat a whole bunch of shit that I don't like, but is very good for me. So I ordered beets, tons of beets, (laughs) all these leafy greens that I had never tried before. I'm like, I'll just put them all just get them all in here you ate kale and didn't massage it first exactly (laughs) but i had uh because i got it so early that was like around the time where delivery was also super delayed and everything so i thought that i had ordered delivery groceries because i wasn't gonna leave my house i thought that i had (laughs) ordered it for like that friday turned out that it was for two weeks from that Friday. So by the time that I regained my sense of smell, like the day that I was like, oh, I can taste something. Ding dong, two boxes full of real shit vegetables that I do not like (laughs) (laughs) that I had to do something with. And those are the first things that I started to eat once I could actually taste. (laughs) 
Oh no. Now did you use it as an opportunity to like, let me learn some new beet recipes and things like that. Or were you just like, I'm putting this all in a blender and chugging it and keeping it moving or, and no shame. If you did this, you're like, I'm using these as ammunition to throw at somebody I don't like. (laughs) Well, some of the leafy things I like put in a smoothie and then that beet I used, I, it was just in the fridge for like months, <laughs> months. And so it was there, you know, casual weapon if needed. Yeah, um, yeah. I probably had some, I was like, wow, this is staying a long time. So it was kind of like a science experiment almost. I'm like, how long can it stay? <laughs> the and then I think I, um, I think I ended up throwing it out. Yeah, um, it had to happen. Yeah, it had to happen. No shame, friend. Yeah. No shame. Uh, hold your head high. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> Amory. Speaking of eating, this show is called Diner Talks with James. You are no stranger to a diner, my friend. Mm-hmm. Now you grew up in Cali. Mm-hmm. Um, that has faux diners, but, you know, uh, ones that like close at 10 o'clock at night. Right. Um, and are, yeah, exactly. 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 Um, but I'd be curious. Uh, first question is what is your late night eating move in New York? Are you going to a diner? What do you get at diners when you typically go? Diners for me, I love a good diner. I love a good New York diner. Mm. Um, and if I'm out, I will for sure be going to a diner. If I, if I'm in Manhattan, Especially if I'm in, if I'm close enough to my apartment in Brooklyn, I'm going home, but I'm ordering food on the way. So that arrival time is tiny. Um, (laughs) My order, it's one of those things where I always am in the savory or sweet battle. Yes, yes. I'm like, what do I do? And it's not even breakfast or lunch necessarily. It's just savory or sweet for me. Mm -hmm. So I'll normally go like, a sensible stack of pancakes, bacon, yep, hash yep. browns, probably. Mm-hmm. And if I'm feeling saucy, a fried egg. Go ahead. Now, do you now? Will you will you stack the bacon and the pancakes and the fried egg? Like some people like kind of stack all that up, or are you eating those separately? I'm eating them separate, but I also don't like if they touch. Wonderful. Like I'm not against them touching, but. I'm just not going to put them together by my sets. I feel like this is what my mom said about when I was dating as a teenager. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put them together. But if they, <laughs> if they somehow, together, that'll probably be great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It'll, it'll work out. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that. First off, uh, I also love the phrase, a sensible stack of pancakes. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I feel like I frequently get a full stack of pancakes. I'm like, I got this three of these bad boys. And like, by the time I get to my favorite part, which is the center bite, because I eat pancakes yeah. in a very particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got that center bite, the one with the most syrup on it. The butter has been soaked in the most. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, I got to I just got to do it. I got to eat it. Um, but yeah, full yeah, stack of pancakes. Butter dead. No the butter. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So now growing up in California, what was your late night move out there? Were you an in and out person? Were you a taco trucks? Like what, like what was the move for you out there? In and out for sure. Um, there's also round table pizza. 
Okay, that sure. Might only be California and it might only be Southern California. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But uh, Roundtable Pizza was right next to the Vaughn's grocery store and the Pixie Donuts. That's like a two minute drive from my house. Mm-hmm. Um, so Roundtable was a thing. It was also like the after basketball game place. So it's like, I knew where the vending machines were. I knew what stickers I got. I had my booth, <laughs> you know. Um, but there's also a there is a diner in Claremont called the Village Grill, okay. which is wonderful. Um, but they weren't always open super late because it's Claremont, um, <laughs> <laughs> even though it's a college town. Uh, so In and Out is always my go-to, hundred percent. Do you stay on menu at In and Out, or are you one of those people that's like, I know about the secret menu? I mean, I I go I go off menu quite a bit, but I feel like it's. I feel like if you grow up in California, like off the menu is on the menu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Roundtable is so good. <laughs> He's had it. He knows. <laughs> it's the best. Like there, there's, there isn't even like a crust. It's just crispy cheese that doesn't have sauce on it. Like that Outrageous. becomes. Oh, it's amazing. Um, but I, my go-to In-N-Out order, depending now when I go home, I will sometimes get protein style, which means it's wrapped in lettuce. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but I only do that if I'm also getting animal fries because <laughs> balance. You're trying, to, you're trying to find it. <laughs> yeah, I just need because I know, and not because I don't like buns. I love them. We all we all love a good cheesy hamburger bun, right? Preach. But Preach. sometimes I'm not because I get double doubles. I don't get cheeseburgers or hamburgers the waste of my time <laughs> so i always get double doubles and if i want to be able to eat both then i either have to do animal fry and bun or bun and regular fry there it is so it's the, you know what's the dilemma you know and, yeah. and when you were younger it probably didn't matter you just ordered it all and it all it all went we were able to handle it when i was younger i <laughs> uh, I am so envious of like 12 year old Anne Marie because she ate everything. <laughs> like I was known Astro camp is a science camp that you can go to in fifth grade. And it was one of my favorite things, but I was, I, the entire time I heard that there was an all you can eat buffet. Okay. And apparent, not apparently, I remember this very clearly. I talked about it the whole time for like months from like, beginning of getting that permission slip all the way up to Astro Camp. And my picture is on the like eating hall of fame that did not <laughs> exist before I got there. Oh, I was no. going around to everyone's table being like, are you going to eat that? And like eating everyone's like, <laughs> like scraping the like communal plates onto my own of lasagna to the point that my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Dahl, who's a wonderful teacher said, you don't have to prove anything. <laughs> you can stop. It's okay. And I'm like, I'm not proving anything. And I just <laughs> kept going. And I would eat four by fours at uh, in and out constantly. Incredible. I mean, a, a true hero back yeah. in the day. I aspire to be like my 12 year old self. <laughs> it's a cruel trick life plays on us. When our palates aren't actually formed, we can eat the most. Yeah. <laughs> terrible <laughs> very mean yeah it's a rude actually yeah yeah so 
Astro Camp. Are we, what are we doing out here? Are we going and seeing some rockets? Are we like? Are they putting you in? Uh, are you floating? Are you experiencing zero gravity? Or what's happening? We're we're floating in a pool. We're doing the zero gravity stuff. You're in scuba suits. Okay. Um, you also have lab hours where you can like build your own science experiments. Um, and then you do this night walk, which was always mm-hmm. the big thing because it's like, oh my gosh. Are, are who's gonna hold hands tonight in the dark so like that was always like a big oh, talk sure, of the yeah. town mm-hmm. night walk at astro camp <laughs> and you would like go in the dark and uh everyone would chew lifesavers because you could like see them in the dark the winter green ones the winter green well, yeah of course yeah. naturally yeah this podcast is sponsored by lifesavers so thanks for squeezing that in there yeah, um nice. and uh yeah <laughs> thank you son True lifesavers because of science. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad it sounds like the sparks were really flying. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and oh. Uh, now as a, I mean, how old were you? What was space camp is what age? Fifth grade. So that's what, 11? Okay. Got you. Yeah. So holding hands is really like the craziest we're getting at in fifth grade, hopefully. Um, well, and don't yeah. tell me if it was anything more. I'd like to keep my innocence. But uh <laughs> So uh, what was a young Anne-Marie like? You know, obviously we're going to Astro Camp. That immediately in my brain puts you into one box, right? Like I'm also putting you in the box of like, I'm the one flexing it in and out, eating four by fours, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's another, that's another archetype as well. (laughs) Tell me, tell me about Anne-Marie when she was growing up. Oh man, she was wild, man. (laughs) (laughs) so weird in such a beautiful way oh my god wait i have a picture of my young self incredible is that a very long so you're wearing these glasses are incredible those glasses Mm -hmm. are on trend now they're the size of your face yeah right are you wearing is that like your dad's tie or something like that and then no collar and some jeans hands tucked in like a boss Mm -hmm. beautiful just a tuesday (laughs) i asked my my mom i was like what was this for like was was i like dressing up as dad or something like for fun she was like no you wanted to wear that to school (laughs) i was like great okay great i get it (laughs) because that's pretty amazing Mm -hmm. um but i had i had zero fears um and i was definitely one to run with the boys yeah um a tomboy, as some might say. And um, I loved to sing and dance. And I was obsessed with movie musicals and Saturday Night Live and Who's Lies It Anyway, but I didn't put any of that together at all. I wanted to be a therapist when I was in elementary school. Okay, okay. <laughs> probably says more about me than anything else. <laughs> that was um, descriptive. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I went through many a phase. I went through a lot of phases Mm -hmm. because I was a floater and had a lot of different groups of friends. Um, and my fashion choices and my music choices, um, put that on display pretty obviously. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So when did when did acting when did when did the switch flip from therapist to acting? It's also fascinating that therapist is in there because you are an extremely self-aware individual who uh, who who does a lot of deep work with herself. Um, and so it, it's funny how that was that's still something that's happening in your world. Yeah. Um, you're just not clinically uh, doing it to other individuals. Right. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. So but when did acting happen? happened was that was high school or where where that uh it start so i started dance team in junior high yeah you did and <laughs> we did our opening audition routine to earth wind and fire and i still remember some of the routine el roble middle school everybody um <laughs> so i started dancing but i sang all the time uh with my dad and my grandmother, my grandmother um, was gonna sing with the Glenn Miller band in her day. Fun time. Um, and then World War II was a bitch. So um, <laughs> that didn't happen. And my dad sang in choir with all of his farm boyfriends um, when he was grown up. And I learned about musical theater through listening to CDs in his car. I had all of Jersey Boys memorized before. Uh, I saw it. I had all of the producers memorized uh, a little too young, probably to have that entire show memorized. Before <laughs> I saw it. Um, and then from dance, I think someone came and was like, Oh, the musical theater auditions are happening for the high school. Yeah. And, you know, like dancing here, like try out. And I was like, Oh yeah, here we go. Because I had done drama class um in seventh and eighth grade and I remember I got the first taste of improv mm. in eighth grade uh where like in drama class we had to do like these improv exercises and he would just like give us a scenario Mr. Kirkwood one of one of the greatest teachers of all time uh such a good such a good guy um he was like okay here's a scenario you're you're cutting uh one of you is a hairdresser one of you is a customer you're cutting hair um go and it was you know a pretty boring terrible scene that any <laughs> 12 year old could 13 year old could do um but then I remember I I acted as if I cut this person's hair off completely mm -hmm. and she played along with it and I was like oh and everyone was laughing and I'm like oh 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 <laughs> No going back now. So <laughs> Validation I, is such a dangerous drug. <laughs> so bad. And I had been, I'd been very theatrical growing up. Um, Halloween, Halloween costumes were big for me. I was Dr. Phil in fifth grade. Um, and I was uh, Austin Powers in fourth grade. Amazing. And I was my theater teacher. Uh, Mr. Kirkwood in eighth grade, so much so that other teachers were calling me Ken in the hallways. <laughs> and I just turned around. I scared so many people. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> so it started with drama class and singing musical theater songs and then doing musical theater in high school. Thespians was really big at my high school. Yeah. We had an awesome theater program. I was very lucky. 
That's awesome. I love it. Uh, that's all. That's all. Middle school is also when I got into theater as well and did just started doing all the plays and then high school, it just went hard um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and did the dramas and did the musicals and did the one acts and did the, and yeah, just, just drank all the Kool-Aid oh, yeah. uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love High school that. theater is definitely the cool age. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's cool with a K for sure. Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> so, but it's interesting because while this is happening, your family also owns a dairy farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, Q, again, living in multiple worlds and in multiple <laughs> places, yeah. the farm isn't in Claremont. It's outside. It's, it's a little bit of ways away from there. Mm-hmm. But uh, when we say dairy farm, Amory, are we talking, you know, uh, 10 cows? Are we talking 100 cows? Are we talking like what, what's going on here? Dairies come in all shapes and sizes. Mm. Um, but ours, it's like uh, there's a there's a we have a couple in the area the, the way that um, the dairy community in Southern California works is it's kind of like clusters of agricultural land. Um, and so there's a couple and like a couple hundred uh, cows on each one. Okay. Got you. Got you. And so with the dairy, what, I mean, what does your family do with said dairy? Are, are you uh, a purveyor for, I mean, do you, does that milk get sent or that curd get sent somewhere? And then you kind of feed like, what, what does your family particularly do with their dairy? Yeah, it's uh, it's all fluid milk. Um, okay. So it, if, you're drinking Altadena milk in California is a big percentage that it's probably ours. Um, it's mostly just gone to straight fluid milk. It's, it hasn't been, it's not really any like butters or cheeses or anything. We might start to make cheese. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's incredible. Uh, so growing up, and and uh, and and having this dairy farm, having this place to go to that was completely away from everything. What role did, what role I guess did that farm life or farm side of your family play in in your I guess development or and who you were then? Huge, yeah? absolutely huge. I but I didn't really realize that until I left. Interesting. Tell me more. And I so I went to Penn State for college. We are. Um, that's great. Oh man, we got creamed. <laughs> uh, and well, you know, that's fine. Love it. Um, also didn't care about college football until I went to Penn State, but now I do. <laughs> I went to Penn State because on my tour, it's a it was a very interesting way. I applied late um mm-hmm. because the website said it was rolling admission, um, but I guess it wasn't. It was very confused. And my parents knew someone through like the museum gallery kind of world in Southern California, because my family is also uh, very into art, <laughs> art and cows, big sure. for the Petersmas. Yeah. And <laughs> we've all heard the story before. <laughs> we know, we know this. Um, the so I, I applied for photography originally, uh, and that's another shadow life of mine. Uh, and so I got in based on a portfolio, which was actually a photo book that I did for my dad as a Christmas present um, to celebrate a week in New York that we had together when I was 16. Oh, cool. So I got in when I went to visit the theater, like one of the theaters on campus is in the old cattle showing building. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is weirdly <laughs> tailored towards my life. Um <laughs> So Penn State was kind of when that all culminated. I'm like, oh, I'm in this hugely rural area, yeah. but I'm 
from California. So everyone expects me to be a certain way. Um, and I have my agricultural background is one of my favorite things about me because it has kept me so grounded um, and has given me a perspective um, that not a lot of people in the U.S. get. Yeah. Why do you, why do you say that? Well, like what kind of, when you say perspective and, and whatnot, how so? I think we are very disconnected from our food and being a part of a family that provides food is something that I think has great honor. Um, and I also know what actually happens. Hmm. There's a lot of like propaganda about the dairy industry. There's a lot of laws that happen by people that are making rules about agriculture that have never stepped on a farm besides a field trip in kindergarten. <laughs> and they're making laws that would seem on paper that they work and have good intentions, but really fuck shit up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Interesting. So, uh, that perspective, I mean, first of all, going to Penn state, uh, a beautiful campus, huge school, uh, spent some time in state college, great town. Um, but, uh, it's also fascinating because like you said, I mean, there's the theater and it's in this old cow thing, but like Penn state also has one of the best creameries in the country. Uh, oh, yeah. And so it really has uh, so many things that you love. The fact that you went there for photography is funny because <laughs> yeah. we've now been talking for 30 minutes and you haven't even talked about cameras. Um, and so it's yeah. just like another thing like, and for my next trick, <laughs> I did my official graduating major was uh in integrative arts which a, which was a build your own double major and so i double majored in theater and photography and then i double minored i was one credit away from a triple minor with dance mm -hmm. but then i double minored in international studies and sociology <laughs> i mean i guess it sounds like you were bored and my advisor was so she's like explain yourself <laughs> How are you going to write a thesis on this? Like, what the hell? Like, this makes no sense. And I'm like, you're wrong because it's all different versions of storytelling. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I could see that now that you're saying it, mm -hmm. but that's still a hot mess. I oh, mean. yeah. Time. Great time. I don't know how I graduated. I also yeah. did spend most of my time doing extracurricular theater which I got no credits for. And that was my entire life was that club. <laughs> I don't know how I graduated. Yeah. I want to come back to this perspective thing, because I think it's interesting to hear you talk about like, you know, I know how food is made. I know how it gets to, uh, to where it gets to and, and the process and whatnot. And that makes me more aware. And not a lot of people know about that. What do more people need to know Right. Like, I mean, I guess obviously we're not going to be able to all like roll out to the family farm right now and start honking on some teats. That's yeah. what you call it. Right. These are all technical terms that I looked yeah. up before okay, the show. Man, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, um, and so, uh, but you know, I mean, what is something that like you wish more people knew? Um, I wish more people knew how much work it was. It is. Hmm. Um, it's an insane amount of work. And even though you're providing sustenance for humans, 
it's a kind of thankless job. Um, there was, uh, I remember seeing a devastating video of a kid in an interview being like, where does milk come from? He's like, the store. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that, but I, I feel like that's uh, what a lot of people don't really think past. Yeah. And I think it's important because we're losing a connection to a part of humanity that at least I think is so interesting and so integral to relating to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't, I mean, I grew up in suburbia, luscious suburbia at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, at some point in my life, I did move. I mean, I was in Clemson, South Carolina, which is like just past the eighth farm on the left in South Carolina. Uh, and then uh, a big, you know, big ag school down there as well. And, but uh, I would also say that um, actually, I shouldn't say a big ag school, big engineering school with an agriculture program. Um, sure. But uh, and then I also lived in upstate New York for a while in Ithaca. Then all the farms up there, a lot of dairy farms in upstate mm-hmm. New York. <clears throat> and uh, and I don't know. I mean, I've, I've always been interested in it, but I don't. I never like thought about the supply chain of like how it went from that animal to this glass, right, mm-hmm. or that animal to this uh, charcuterie board or whatever, right? Like I never. I never thought about that. So that is uh, when individuals know more about the process, they become obviously a more educated eater and more consuming. And so uh, more uh, they consume things more intelligently. How has that knowledge shifted the way that you either shop or consume uh, the products that you do? I, I mean, obviously a big part of my life is cheese. So I, um, spend a lot of time talking to and about people that are very passionate about what they make and just really having a knowledge of not only the work that goes into it, but the love and the passion that goes into it, the story that's behind it, the ingredients that are in it. And that makes me willing to spend more on a quality product than not. And it makes me more selective in my shopping. Definitely. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about cheese real quick. And by real quick, I mean for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, cheese is, is uh, one of my religions, um, mm-hmm. but I would not say that I am, I'm getting more educated in it, but I would just say like, I'm definitely on the appreciator side of things and okay. uh, a very important role in the business. Uh, but, but still, uh, here's my first question for you about cheese while we're talking about processes. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be a really ignorant question, okay? <clears throat> so I'm, I'm sure I've had worse, no matter what it is. Great. Let's find out. So <laughs> cheddar, Swiss, uh, uh, blue is its own process, but like uh, American is its own process, but like your, your different cheeses, like how is... Th- how does one cheese become one thing? Is it is it because of regions? Because of what the cows are eating? Is it because of uh, the process after? I mean, all milk comes out like all milk, and then it goes through a different process to go from cheddar, or or instead of into into a Swiss or into a uh, a Roquefort or something like that, right? <laughs> I mean, let's get into it, right? Um, and so obviously there is there's also sheep's milk cheeses. You know, we talked about that earlier with my Manchego reference, nailed it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but still, um, so that that makes sense. While why a different animal's cheese would taste differently, but like 
how how's it happen? What's what's going on here? All of the above. Great. All Next question. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it has so much to do with I mean everything. That's why like in in wine a lot you hear the word terroir or taste of place. Same thing is with cheese. So it's what they're eating, what kind of cows they are, like different milk from different cows has a different protein to fat ratio. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get more or less cheese and different kinds of cheese according to that. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the cultures that are in it. So the, the, I mean, at least our artisanal cheese has just milk, salt, rennet, and cultures in it. Like those are the only four things, unless you put something else like a flavoring in it or like onions or dill or whatever then Pause. did you yeah. say rennet rennet mm -hmm. okay who's who, who's that she is, <laughs> um, she is a saucy little thing that um just is used to oops, coagulate um the milk and separate it into curds and whey that traditional rennet uh normally is a byproduct of the veal industry and comes from like the stomach of an unweaned ruminant animal if we're getting fancy i mean really what we're doing is flexing sat words at this point oh, yeah. so let's back they're up. all i have yeah no that, that's <laughs> all fair. of my sat words are cheese yeah, no. whenever i hang out with you and doug i need to have a pocket dictionary uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you the cheese sat words he'll give you 50 nicknames <laughs> i'll take them both oh yeah <laughs> i'll probably wind up sounding the same uh, <laughs> That's very okay. true. Great. So that's what rennet is. Sorry to cut you off, but I just needed a definition check. Yep. <laughs> uh, and so that's what's in it, like the kind of milk, the foundation and everything, what the cows are eating, their diet, um, but also how it's cared for. Mm. Uh, so you can take the same cheese and put it in a cave that has uh, like ambient spore is kind of going on and do more of like a bloomy rind situation. So like your brie or camembert, yeah. anything with a white fuzzy rind. Um, or you can take it, put it on a wood board, wash it with wine, flip it a couple times a week, wash it off again. And then at the end of three months, you have two completely different cheeses mm. with the exact same thing, just depending on what you did to it. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. I did not and know the processes like you were talking about too. Like, so the, so cheddar, for instance, people are like, oh, is it because after cheddar England, <laughs> uh, it's like cheddar England, it's like, no, it's after the cheddaring process, which just means that you have a bunch of cheese curds, you cut them, you put them on top of each other to naturally just drain the moisture out. And then you just do that over and over again and stack it. So that's why like in some farmhouse cheddars, if you like cut it and then all of a sudden it like breaks apart on what's almost looks like a fault line, like yeah. in the cheese, that's just where the curd naturally broke and was stacked. Fascinating. And yeah. then what are, where do cheese curds come in in all of this? They're like, are they unprocessed cheese or like, no, like uh, what's, what's the deal with the curd? Because I live in Minnesota now, and so you know Minnesota, Wisconsin, every restaurant's got cheese curds, and who would I be not to do a comparison test? I mean, someone's got to do it. A disappointment. So. <laughs> it's it's just like the the first step in the cheese making process. So you have milk, 
separate it into curds and whey. <laughs> Little Miss Muffin was eating spoiled milk. <laughs> and so you have the curds, you make them into cheese, whey, you sell it to protein bros or feed it to pigs or, you know, do whatever you want to do. And then those curds, if you just take those, uh, those, are your, those are your cheese curds and you let them sit depending on like what you want the texture to be is different because a lot of cheese cards kind of look like milk jello got it so, okay yeah yeah for sure <clears throat> yeah um i'm with uh i'm i'm with i'm i'm here for some cheese curd love uh absolutely <clears throat> and uh and so uh this is fascinating. So obviously you are a student of, of the cheese, but your family, you mentioned only did liquid, uh, pretty much drinking liquid milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you mentioned that potentially you're going to get into, uh, there's a potential cheese business in the works, but, um, but when did cheese happen to your life? Like, is it kind of like when you were younger and like your parents wanted to listen to you and do one type of music and you're like, I'm gonna listen to this one. It's like <laughs> close, but different and edgier where it's like, I'm gonna keep it in dairy, but I'm gonna do something different. Cause I'm a rebellious kid. Or yeah. like, I mean, how did it happen to your life? And was there a specific cheese that you tasted that you were like, yo, there's like, so many cheeses. I know nothing. <laughs> Every day. That's how I feel. <laughs> I know nothing. And there's so many cheeses. Um, I first got in. So yeah, my, my family, I mean, my mom is, my mom is a huge foodie, huge. Like she, I learned about food mostly from her and the appreciation of it and the savoring of it. And she has like a million cookbooks. So, and she watched Ina Garten religiously and like food network was always on. So I learned about food and the experience of it from her. And then Mm. the dairy, both of my parents come from a family of, of farmers, but my dad's side specifically is like a whole bunch of Dutch dairy farmers. Um, so the dairy part was in there for sure. But it wasn't until, I mean, college kind of, but we would like pretend to have like silly, fancy, like wine and like cheese that's wrapped around a Slim Jim and stuff. We call it a charcuterie board just for shit. (laughs) (laughs) When I came to New York, um, I started volunteering at Murray's. I actually stumbled upon it because a like doo-wop street band named spank was outside i still have their business card (laughs) they're all in their 70s it was incredible so i stopped to listen to them just like bopping around the west village and behind them uh was this graphic on this piece of wood that i had that i think my mom gave me that i like took to college because i just liked it graphically it said all the cheese words like in different fonts like oozy gooey funky stinky like yeah yeah and all red and i noticed the same pattern that was on the wall over the most huge cheese counter i had ever seen and i walk in i'm like oh i've had the graphic of murray's cheese in my apartment for the last two years of college yeah and so I found out they had classes um, and I was in conservatory at the time. So I had zero money. Um, so I started volunteering and they would pay me in cheese. I mean, I've heard of worse currencies. 
Let's be honest. Yeah. I was like, you don't have to pay me. I'm taking yeah. this class for free. This is like a hundred dollars worth of knowledge and cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll yeah. clean your dishes. I don't care. <laughs> I'll, I'll spend four hours here. That's fine. So, okay. Here's a question that I have. That's kind of been, uh, I'm not going to say a pet peeve of mine, but, uh, but still something that irks me. Tina and I watch a lot of food network, right. And, uh, we're also expecting our first child. And so we're watching a lot of food network. Let's just start planting things. You know what I mean? Like culinary school, culinary school, um, and, uh, and whatnot. We're here for that. But, uh, but still, um, whenever you watch the food network, it seems like all of the judges and the people watching everything like all of the foods that are being prepared. And they just like, they not necessarily like as in like, oh, you nailed the way you cooked this, but as in they, no matter what's on the plate, they're like, oh, I'm going to eat it and I know what's going on and I'll eat it and enjoy it. But I recently watched a show that I know you also passionately love, which is the Great British Baking Show. And I had, and I, I saw the moment of transparency that I've wanted to see on a food show for so long, where Paul Hollywood, Paul Hollywood was like, I don't eat gherkins. He's like, can you please make me something? He's like, cause there was this person making a, uh, uh, it was, it was a, a Japanese bun and they decided to make a hamburger style. Um, and so uh, a little fusion and whatnot, and they were doing it with gherkins. Um, and so he said, please make one with, uh, they had to make like 10 uniform buns. And he literally the told the person, season? yes. And he literally told the person, he said, can you please make one without gherkins? Cause I will not eat those other ones. And I was like, hallelujah like because there's no way that all these people eat all of these things and Mm -hmm. so as someone who has now had to try an egregious amount of cheeses and therefore i I will call you an expert i know you're too humble to call yourself that so you're welcome but as a cheese expert um how does it work? Like as someone who has dedicated themselves to something, are there some cheeses that you just straight up don't like, but still need to learn and appreciate? Or is it one of those things where it's like, no, you've just trained your palate to find what you can like, see the silver lining of every cheese. Mm-hmm. Have you had a Paul Hollywood moment or are you over here? Like these American shows with the fakeness. <laughs> <laughs> they Like I, well, I'll tell you a secret. This is one of my cheese secrets. I like. Secrets. I used to hate Manchego. Okay, hate. well, I got it. You were breaking up. You're breaking just up just a little bit. <laughs> and I, I really didn't know why, and until I had some really good Manchego, and I was like, oh, I see now. And like, it's like once your palate gets used to that, then I'm like, oh, okay. If if any Manchego crosses my plate. I'll greet it. Mm-hmm. But like they're <laughs> they're <laughs> tips go to you. I <laughs> there are cheeses that I'm not the biggest fan of. And there's a lot of cheeses that I think are good, but I wouldn't like go for immediately. Mm-hmm. But I have learned over the past six years. Um it's like an experiment to me uh so tasting things it's rare in a cheese or a wine or a beer or any beverage really or any dairy product that i'll like 
taste it and be like, oh, absolutely not. I'll like taste it and be like, all right, what's going on here? And then taste it again and then again and again and be like, okay, now I think I understand everything that's happening. Now I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) But I definitely, it's, I guess it's a little bit of like looking for the silver lining, but it's just, it's an interesting experience to me before it becomes positive or negative. Got it. Okay. So every cheese has its place. You're like a good person when it comes to cheeses. Um, That's fair. Opportunity cheese. (laughs) I respect it. I'm going to ask you an impossible question. um, And, uh, and and you're going to be frustrated by it. And if you need to go with three, that's fine. Um, But what is a cheese that everybody needs to try that probably has not that they have not. Harbison Jasper Hill farms. Um, I would say Rush Creek Reserve, um, from Uplands Creamery in Wisconsin, Andy Hatch, incredible dude, um, incredible cheesemaker, uh, makes like the most awarded American cheese ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that cheese is seasonal. It's out right now. So you can get some and oh my God, if you can, please, um, and it's a, a similar experience, I would say, to Harbison, which is much more available and year-round. Harbison is from Jasper Hill Farms. It's a bloomy rinded cheese, so it looks like a brie. It is mm-hmm. not. Um, it's wrapped in spruce bark or a cambium, which That's is the bit. under bark of spruce. So it kind of imparts these like earthy notes. Sometimes it tastes like real like broccoli cheese soup. And it's in a little round. And when it's really ripe, you can just lob the top off peel it back, dip a potato chip in it and go to town. Oh, wow. So it's like a super creamy cheese. Mm -hmm. Depending on like what age it is. Sometimes it's a little more fudgy and sometimes it's, you can just dip on in. What was the Jasper Hills and what was the other one? Jasper Hill Farms and then uh, Rush Creek Reserve from Uplands Creamery in Wisconsin. Jasper Hill is in Vermont. Uh, that's amazing. So those, it's I'm funny that I'm writing this one. down because I'm, this is my own recording on my own computer. And I'm like, I got to take notes. I'll never <laughs> learn this information. Again. I'll never tell you ever again. <laughs> if you text me, I will refuse. <laughs> the recording will blow up. Okay. That's fine. Always a student over here. Um, <clears throat> I love that. Uh, and we have a little adorable cheese shop uh, that's close to us. And, uh, so I'm going to see what, what we got, um, over there, but, uh, I love that. So, Anne-Marie, let us sadly drift away from cheese and go into a segment right now. Are you down to have a little fun? A little, little quick so segment? Down. Amazing. So we're going to do a segment, Anne-Marie, that's called Things You Didn't Know About Me But Are Now Glad That You Did. Please note, Anne-Marie, the name of the, sub, of the segment changes pretty much every time, but the gist <laughs> is still there. Uh, and so what will happen is that you and I will both share some random facts about ourselves, and then we will uh, we'll, we'll discuss them a little bit, and then we'll move on into deeper and darker topics. Okay, great. <laughs> so, um, so Anne-Marie, let's talk about this. My, I'll go first because I've been making you go first the whole time, uh, and it, that's only fair. <laughs> so, uh Growing up, I absolutely hated steak. 
Um, and whenever I had it, when I was growing up, this is ironic because you and I have now been to a couple of bang and steak houses. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I despised steak and I don't know why I don't, I mean, I'm, I, maybe it's potentially what was bought for me. Maybe it was cause I was a spoiled brat. Uh, <laughs> maybe it was just because I don't know, I thought I was cooler than I was or who not, whatever it was, but growing up, I remember vividly whenever we had steak for dinner and it wasn't, it was not often at all. Um, uh, probably cause I didn't like it because I was an obnoxious kid. Um, but, uh, my father will probably comment on that. Um, but what I would do is I would saw off a little bit of the, uh, I would saw off a little bit of the steak and I would put it into my mouth and I would chew it for what felt like hours. And then I would put some milk in my mouth, swish it all around and swallow it. And that is how I ate steak for the first 24 years of my life. Whoa. <laughs> Wait, so what happened at 25? At 25, uh, I was working in New York City. I just got a job at Fordham University, and I was working there. And my aunt and uncle came into town. They were going to see The Lion King. And uh, and so I met up with them, and they are big steak eaters. And they took me to a, a famous steakhouse in New York that has since closed, sadly. It was called Ben Benson's. At the time, it was a like, top mm-hmm. 10 steakhouse. Um, and I learned what real steak uh, was supposed to taste like. And I was like, Oh, steak. <laughs> got it. Got it. My father just said, I'm a cheap date. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love Incredible. it. Incredible. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I love that. Okay. Uh, so, uh, that's my fun fact for you. Um, that's incredible. I would have never guessed that ever. <laughs> um, but that's funny because I would, I drink milk with steak. I drink milk with everything. And people think it's so gross. They're like, why would you drink milk with a steak? I'm like, I love milk. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a milk drinker. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. What was my first one? Um, I once, and this is one, one of like my go-tos of things that you, you wouldn't know about me. Um, I crashed in a hot air balloon once. What? <laughs> okay. I mean, you're here to tell the story. So yep. yeah. Well, okay. Where were we? Uh, what Sweden. Sweden. Sure. That was my next guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on vacation with my family. I was, I think about 15. Um, and there was this like, we were in Stockholm, we were on a cruise, and one of the excursions that you could go on was a hot air balloon ride, like, at sunset over Stockholm. I'm like, Perfect. Love that. Um, and it's so cool being in very romantic situations as a teenager with your parents and your brother, especially when the guy operating the hot air balloon was really cute. But you were 15, and he was, like, 28, but you still think you had a chance. And what's wrong with that? A mm-hmm. lot. <laughs> but okay <laughs> everything's legal in sweden yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> we we go up in the hot air balloon it's like absolutely beautiful they pop the champagne and i'm like i'm a teenager and the sweden's like yeah it's fine my parents are like no absolutely not there's some but the chocolates come out and i eat all of them and the sun's going down it's absolutely beautiful um and they're like all right well we're gonna we're going to time to head down. 
We see some of the other, because there are probably like four balloons up at the same time. Okay. We saw the other ones go down, go down. It's getting darker. Uh, don't see any of the higher balloons anymore. And he's like, oh, the wind changed. Um, so we have to just like cruise around for a little bit before we can land. It's getting darker, darker. Uh, now it's so dark, we can't see. Oh. So a helicopter needs to come in to shine their light in front of us. So we can see anything. Uh, a long time goes by. The hel- now the helicopter leaves. And I'm like, where'd the helicopter go? I feel a bump under the basket. It's someone's roof. We are now plummeting <laughs> towards the ground and land in some woman's backyard of like her farm and scare her horses away. Sure. Yeah. So we land, we jump out of the basket, which is like, was like up to there on me, hurl myself over, get the parents out and everything because we like land and we're like, oh my God, finally, is everyone okay? And then the guy that's controlling the balloon just looks up and goes, get out of the basket. And we look up and the it's deflating slowly <gasps> on top of us. So we like run out like tumble onto the grass this woman who started yelling at us in english like surprise <laughs> she, she knew weeds. um and she brought us into her house and gave us some tea until the police picked us up to escort us back to the ship what yeah that is incredible first off shout out to this woman Whose horses you scared away for like, yeah. no, come in and have some tea. Yeah. I mean, we weren't allowed to leave until the cops found her horses first. It's like, find the horses, then come back for the humans and then take them away. So you were kind of like, you were like hostages that were being treated well. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how I assume celebrity prison is. It's just mm. like, yeah, you're in here, but you know, here's some tea. Here's some tea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what an incredible story. Uh, and I mean, first off, I feel like many a hot air balloon accident ends and poorly. Yeah. Uh, and so in, in, the, in the scope of hot air balloon accidents, I feel like you kind of came out on top. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. I assume it didn't work out with the guy, though. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it's okay. My parents still tease me about him every every once in a while when they just want to bring up something that has nothing to do with the conversation. <laughs> parents are good like that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I feel like it's a good time to embarrass you. You too? Great. Here we go. Yeah. Hey, remember the guy that had spray paint checkers on his head and the hot air balloon? Yeah. Yeah. Like his head looked like your shoes. Is that why you liked him? I'm like, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Could be. I mean, you do have a type, Anne-Marie. Let's be honest. (laughs) Do I? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think if there's anything we've learned about you, this is that you don't have anything. You don't have a type of anything. You're all over the place. Nope. (laughs) Very inconsistent. (laughs) (laughs) But delightfully so. Uh, Delightfully so. Um, That's incredible. Uh, What a great story. Thank you for sharing it with us. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. So so here's my next question for you. Here's my next question for you. Uh, something that uh, 
you and I share in common um, is that we both have uh, bouts of anxiety um, and, uh, and, and we both enjoy, enjoy a little anxiety from time to time, pepper it in just to make mm-hmm. life interesting and slightly more panicky. Yeah. yeah. Right. Salt Bay it in. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> <my> anxiety. <laughs> let's, let's, let's find that meme after this. Yeah, um, but uh, so it's interesting because you have all of these things that you love and are passionate about and are, are true students of, and right. Whether it, whether it be acting, whether it be uh, the cheese side of life, I'm not sure if you still dabble in photography in any main, uh, in any big kind of way. Um, but like you got a lot of, you have a number of balls that are up in the air as someone who, uh, as someone who has difficulty deciding things, as in myself, um, <laughs> uh, like I, that's something where I, I struggle and, and I'll struggle over the smallest, like the dumbest decisions, right? Like decisions that don't need to have that much effort put into them. And I'm like, this is life or death. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, and, uh, and I just wish someone would be like, just, just, just choose option A and keep it moving, bro. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out the road's like, connect again later Um, (laughs) right next to each other right yeah not a big deal um so i'd be curious as someone who has so many passions and whatnot where does your anxiety come into play in your life um does it does it keep the idea like i need to keep all of these balls in the air because any of these balls could be the thing does it prevent you from for lack of a better phrase, like really honing in and specializing or like what, what impact does it have in, in your world and where you're going? Yeah, it definitely um, keeps every single thing that I'm doing at the same level, Mm. even though I know intellectually they're not, there's some projects that I haven't even touched in like two years, but they're still at the same level that as everything else that I'm doing, it could just be, a thing that I wrote down once, the idea for an Etsy shop that I had, uh, it's called Shiver Me Timbers for little sweaters to put on saplings in the winter so they wouldn't freeze. (laughs) Things like that are somehow still in my head. I thought of that in like college and like that is still on the same level of thought somehow as the pilot that I'm writing right now. So it gives me no chill when it comes to projects, creative pursuits, um, but also just like different things in my life that I would like to accomplish like inside of my career or not. Mm -hmm. Um, It shows up with my parents a lot. Um, thank you, Tina. I love that idea. <laughs> Shiver me timbers coming soon. Um, it shows up with my family a lot because something that I joke about often is that my parents are super old because my mom had me when she was 45. Okay. She's a beast. <laughs> she's incredible. I'm 28 years old. My dad is 70. My mom is 73. So that has always been a source of great material for me, but also a source of anxiety um, because I have this constant fear that certain life milestones won't happen soon enough for them to 
either be here or see something come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's some real shit right there, friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, that is, that's very real. And, you know, I think it's something that I have talked about with them as well. So my dad won't be surprised when he hears this um, or my mom, but like I have often thought about uh, like what I would love to do before my uh before my parents leave leave this earth <clears throat> um and i think you and i are both fortunate that we have uh great relationships with uh with our family as well i feel very privileged in that way mm-hmm. um and uh but yeah it is interesting like especially moving away like i felt like i was moving away at a time where i felt like i should have been moving closer right and uh <clears throat> and so uh but that is just a very that's uh, a very real thing that you share. And my parents are, are very similarly aged to yours um, as well. And, uh, and it's, it's tough, especially living pretty far away from them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Aziz Ansari had, I forget if it was in a comedy special or something like that, or just an interview, but he talked about how his family lives, you know, very far away from him. He's out in LA and I don't know if they're still in South Carolina or where they are. Um, but, uh, so, but he only gets to go home and see them, you know, for a, a clip at a time, but he's like, okay. He's like, so if the average age that people live to is let's just say 85 for easy math and my parents are 75 and I see them for, and I see them approximately 12 days a year, that means I will see my parents 120 more days. And like, I heard that shit and it blew my mind in a really powerful, probably negative way. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is something that is definitely a, a weight um, a weight that pulls on me. Uh, and, uh, you know, Tina and I, uh, we're, we're having a baby and, and for them to be able to meet this baby is really huge and feel just super privileged because that was something that was on my brain. Um, and, uh, and, and, and whatever it is that you hope that your parents get to experience in your life, I, I want that for you. Um, but I also know that there's a bunch of things that I would love for them to see. And I don't, I don't know if they will. Um, and it, it racks me, um, mm-hmm. for sure. And that's some real anxiety right there. And I mean, anxiety comes down to putting so much emphasis on things that you really can't control, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's yeah. something that we can't control. Um, and uh, and it's super difficult. So I'd be curious for you, you mentioned that everything kind of stays at the same level mm-hmm. um, from Shiver Me Timbers to your new pilot that you're writing to whatever mm-hmm. podcasts you're working on to X, Y, and Z uh, auditions that you're going on, yada, yada, yada. Um <clears throat> When does prioritization happen in your life? And how are you working on getting better at it? Yes. I am have been working on it for a long time and have very recently started to succeed <laughs> a little bit. Um, I used to, like, I was the person that wouldn't get sleep before opening night when that would really me getting sleep would benefit me, my performance, my mood, everyone else around me, the performance in its entirety. If it's a small show and I would not get sleep before opening night because I would stay up all night making happy opening night cards Yeah, for the entire cast, the entire pit, the entire crew, making them personalized so everyone felt included and would 
that would bump up and become a higher priority than me getting rest and to actually do the job that I was there to do. So recently um, that has started shifting um, last November, around almost exactly a year this time, um, I went to India with a group of people and um, like other leaders. And it was uh, one of the best experiences of my life. <laughs> um, Low key, one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, unbelievably lucky and privileged to have been on that trip. And one of the things that was said from a teacher while I was there, one of the many things that I learned <laughs> by briefly studying Tibetan Buddhism while I was there is um, expectation leads to suffering. Mm. And tell, me, tell us more about that. That's that's powerful. That there there's so much suffering in Buddhism. It's great. It's it's just <laughs> so it's, much peaceful it's, suffering. Life is suffering. Let me tell you the nine different ways that you can suffer. <laughs> like, and they're all inevitable. Like it's one of the teachers told me, explained it to me once, because I feel like a lot of different cultures have the saying of, you know, like if you can't control it, don't worry about it kind of thing. Yep, sure. Um, I am a person that this is starting to change, but I'm a person for 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 most of my life, in order for me to take a note to do something for myself, it has to benefit somebody else. Mm. And so like framing it in a way that like, oh, if I take care of myself, they will benefit from that is the only way to, that was my intro into self-care. Like my self-care has to benefit somebody. And that's, that was my jumping off point. We've gotten better. But uh, he explained worrying and forgiveness and grudges and all these things. It's like, if, if you worry no good will come from it because if he's like, if there's something I can do about it, I'll do it. If there's nothing I can do about it, I won't do it. If there's nothing I can do and I still worry about it, I become the problem because now I am the worry and I pass that along to my family, to my communities, to wherever I'm in leadership. In. And that is what got me to start saying, okay, so if I'm not worrying about something, that'll be good for someone else because then they don't have to deal with my anxious ass. <laughs> okay, like I can start understanding this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. You got me. You got me with that. You got the brain spooling right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So here's something that you and I both know quite well. Hearing that and doing that are different. Completely different. So what has your journey been like since your time in India with trying to get there? A lot of therapy. Shout out. Shout out <laughs> to therapy. Big that fans of Sierra Therapy on this show. Big I fan. go weekly. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Mine's tomorrow. Um, Mine is too. Oh my god! Oh my god. Yay! Maybe we're at the same time. time. <laughs> <laughs> um, a a lot of a lot of allowing myself to feel things. Mm. I 
remember one, one of the few therapy calls that I had that was on the phone because um, normally it's in person since yeah. COVID it's been on FaceTime. Um, my therapist stopped whatever was happening. I was spiraling in some way and she was like, okay, stop talking to me about it and stop trying to analyze it. Cause one of the ways that I deflect a whole bunch of shit is trying to analyze it and being like, okay, well, this is probably happening because of this. I'm probably feeling this way because of this. And like, you know, how can I, how can I do better, better right now? How can I make this into something that I can get better at? And she was like, what if you don't do any of that? And <laughs> instead you just feel what you're feeling. What do you notice? Like, where do you feel it? What are you feeling? And I'd be like, I'm sad. <laughs> just like start crying. And I'll be like, but it's pro I'm probably sad because like I had this dream <laughs> and she's like, no, <laughs> stop. <laughs> so, oh, and I noticed that once I would do that and do nothing else, but actually feel something. Mm -hmm it went by a lot faster. And then like five minutes later, I'm like, oh, huh, you know, I actually feel a lot better. I thought the world was ending and now I'm actually okay. So a big part of that has been me allowing myself, giving myself permission, holding space for myself to just feel things yeah. and for them to suck and for that to be totally okay. Yeah. And that's been a huge thing that I'm still working at, but have gotten a lot better at that is not natural for me at all. Mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah. I'm acting. Sure, naturally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, still got it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah that's, uh, there's a lot of wisdom in what you just shared. And I really, I really appreciate it. Just like, as, as an overanalyzer, um, and as someone who, it's funny, I, I told my therapist that some days there are times where I feel like I'm uh, stuck at the intersection of self-awareness and lost. And I don't exactly know, how to, I didn't know those two roads connected, <laughs> right? But it's like, I'm so self-aware of what's going on. Like, I know the problem. I could talk about it for days, how we got here, why it probably happened, yada, yada, yada. But like, I have no idea where to go from here. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I don't know, it, it's, it's some ways that's even worse because yeah. like I have all my anxiety cool. comes in yeah of like, where do I go from here? I'm just like, mm -hmm. I know all of these things. Great. Oh, I can't do anything about it. It's just going to suck for a while. Oh, okay. And yeah. that's, that's when my like needing to do things comes out and just gets smashed down because there's nothing I can do about it. It's terrible. Yeah, 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 for sure. Really terrible. So what is, what is the end goal for you, Anne-Marie? Where, where are we going? What, and what, and what is it? What does the world look like if, if the chips fell into place for you? If, if I could have all the chips mm -hmm. and all of them, we're in place. Many varieties of chips. Naturally, yes. <laughs> um, I would be helping a family legacy project of making cheese. Mm -hmm. um, 
continue with the podcast and teaching um, as I could and curating experiences for people, um, but while performing in something that I've written, whether that's theater or TV or film or a musical or one woman show um, or just, you know, stand up. Yeah, doesn't yeah, have yeah. to be three hours, you know. Um, <laughs> that is where I have found that I'm most fulfilled and happy. Does, when it comes to performance, does it have to be? Uh, does it have to be big, big stages for you, or is it any kind of performance is very fulfilling for you? Like, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Doug and I have talked about that a bunch of like what is the level of, I guess, fame, notoriety, whatever that we would like to reach? Uh, how would you answer that? I think size doesn't matter enough. Like huge sold out houses would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. But one of my most fulfilling performances is when I did my one woman show in Spencer, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Shout and out to Spencer, Iowa. Shout out to Spencer. Um, <laughs> And it was, I think we had to cap it at 75. Yeah. Um, and I completely changed the script to fit them. Mm-hmm. It's called Mild to Wild. It was a third musical theater cabaret, a third uh, like stand-up crowd work, improv kind of stuff, and a third local cheese and beer slash wine pairing. Sure. Yeah, you're not going to not. I'm not going to not. <laughs> so... And like all of the pairings uh, coordinate to a past relationship in my life. Mm, okay. I and like that. the process of cheese making and wine making everything is just like me growing up. Uh, and it was a pretty small audience. It was a really appreciative audience and it was so much fun. And it was something that combined so many things that I love. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the quality of the work and the quality of the audience means more than the size. Great. I love that. That's cool. That's cool to know uh, also, because that makes some of those other things not easier to happen, but uh, you know, it allows them to, to, to happen, which is kind of cool. I also find it interesting, Anne-Marie that the, of what the first thing you listed was uh, because uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if, uh, if you heard it, um, but you paused for a while um, and then, and then you shared it. And I think it's really cool that, you know, I know just in our personal conversations offline that you've hemmed and hawed about that mm-hmm. uh, and whatnot. But the fact that that was the first thing that you said, I think is pretty profound. Um, and, getting into business with close friends, with family is uncomfortable. Um, but it's work worth doing if the passion's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I, you know, I, I'm always down to have conversations with you about all that kind of stuff, uh, and, and whatnot. And we won't get too deep into it now, but, uh, I just think, I think it's a cool, a cool moment, uh, and a very, a very authentic moment that just happened. And I thought it was beautiful. Oh, thanks James. Yeah, for sure. Friend for sure. Emery, it has been so dope getting to kick it with you in the diner. How are you feeling, friend? I am feeling so good. 
<laughs> I'm ready for another stack of pancakes. There you go. There you go. No more sensible pancakes in this <laughs> diner, my friends. 12-year-old Anne Marie's coming back out. <laughs> Give me the lot. Um, <laughs> so, Emery, <laughs> uh, it was so special getting to hang out with you. Uh, for those of you uh, that are listening to this podcast, now uh, thank you so much for for tuning in. Uh, make sure you check out the show notes for ways to keep up with Anne Marie and all the amazing work that she is doing. Um, and she's got an incredible podcast. What's the name of your podcast, Anne Marie? Tell the world. It's called Is This a Brie? It is a cheese podcast, and spoiler, it's probably not a brie. <laughs> oh, damn. Spoiler alert. Uh, but uh, it is a, a hell of a time, uh, for sure. Um, but catch up with all the amazing things that she's doing. Like I said, catch her on Instagram. Uh, whoa, Anne Marie Just, uh, to catch this. Ama- Actually, it's probably on YouTube or whatnot, but this Magic the Gathering video is mm-hmm. worth your time as well. Uh, Anne Marie, thank you so much for coming to the diner. Thank you so much for having me, James. Are you willing to hang out for some questions? Absolutely. I love it. I love it. My friends on the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to smash that like or subscribe button if you can, my friends. It would mean a whole hell of a lot. And I hope you're having an amazing day. You all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. (laughs) If you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. (laughs) Also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.